Well, good morning, everybody. Um, you can tell we're, we're breathing a little easier this week, aren't we? Get a little bit of joy and laughter in the announcements before the service. Um, I know some of the rest of you guys are also watching the inauguration this week because we were connecting over social media while it was going on and commenting on you know, how great the outfits are and all of that. And we've been kind of feeling all the feelings this week. Uh, I don't know about some of you. I know I've cried more this week. I think as my body has felt a little bit safer. Um, on the other end of the feeling spectrum, you might have seen Ken's dance video, which I was going to screen share and just show you, but I think I'll just refer you to his Facebook page where he does this wonderful joyous dance, right? So we've got kind of the whole gamut going on. Um, this morning, though, I'd like to start us out with the words of a young American prophet. So for the inauguration, if you either saw it, maybe you read about it, there was a 22-year-old National Youth Poet Laureate named Amanda Gorman, and she read a poem that she had written. And it was a piece that she wrote right after the attempted coup earlier this month. And I call her a prophet because in our tradition, prophets are what we call people who are like gifted and um, at like seeing and naming what's really happening in society, right? Prophet, they, they tell the truth beneath the truth and they kind of call us to be our best selves. And I think Amanda Gorman did that during the inauguration and she invoked a scripture to communicate what it was that she was saying. So what I wanna do first is look at just a little bit of her poem and then look at the scripture that she used and alluded to and then talk a little bit about what the spirit might be saying to us through her. So I'm gonna copy and paste this part of her poem. I'm hoping the whole thing will go in at once. I think it does. All right, she said, scripture tells us to envision that everyone shall sit under their own vine and fig tree and no one should make them afraid. If we're to live up to our own time, then victory won't lie in the blade, but in all of the bridges we've made. That is the promise to Glade, the hill we climb if only we dare it, because being American is more than a pride we inherit. It's the past we step into and how we repair it. We've seen a force that would shatter our nation rather than share it. Right? And that first line, scripture tells us to envision that everyone shall sit under their own vine and fig tree and no one should make them afraid. If you guys have ever seen or listened to the musical Hamilton, you might also recognize that phrase, right? There's like a whole song that's sung by George Washington about sitting under his own vine and fig tree. And that phrase comes to us from the book of Micah in the Bible, it's in chapter four. And in there, Micah is describing a hope for a future, um, for peace through the laying down of arms. So we're gonna look at just Micah four, three to four here. I'll put it in the chat. Micah says, God will judge between many peoples and will settle the disputes for strong nations far and wide. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Everyone will sit under their own vine and under their own fig tree, and no one will make them afraid, for the Lord Almighty has spoken. And Gorman wrote this right after the coup. And we know that when that happened on January 6th, that we were perilously close to a government collapse, or at least to like a really, really severe crisis. And I found myself thinking about that Capitol storming again this week. And I was thinking about our leaders and just how much trauma 
it causes to be under attack and to not feel safe in your normal spaces. And I found myself hoping that that experience caused some of those leaders, um, especially some of the white leaders in particular, to maybe just have a little more empathy for Americans with black and brown skin who don't feel safe in their own workplaces and neighborhoods and even their own homes, right? Because they die, they die more often at the hands of the state than white people. And so Amanda Gorman, if you didn't see her, she's black. She chose that line with intention, right? She's saying, look, we just wanna sit under our own vine and fig tree, right? We just wanna be in our own homes and not be afraid. Right, I'm gonna copy this one line just so we take it again. She says, that is the hill we climb if only we dare it because being American is more than a pride we inherit. It's the past we stepped into and how we repair it, right? She's saying, we have to repair the past before we can sit under our own vines and fig trees and not be afraid. So right now we've got this sort of national hope and language around unity right now. Right? But I feel like that word unity has been thrown around a little bit in the last couple of weeks without a whole lot of wisdom. Right, I, I am all for unity, I'm 100% for unity, but unity doesn't always mean like meeting in the middle or just being like, okay, well, let's let bygones be bygones and just go forward, right? Because there's no meeting in the middle when it comes to things like separating kids from their parents at the border, right? And you can't just like pretend that never happened. And like, we don't still have hundreds of kids that are still kept away from their families, right? We have to make that right before we can go forward in unity, right? So our faith tradi tradition teaches us like about how we can achieve true unity. And our faith tradition does that by talking about the unity of the spirit, right? That's how we talk about it. it. It's a phrase that comes from the book of Ephesians. And the unity of the spirit is a unity that holds diversity without making some second-class citizens. So some of you might remember when I preached on the kingdom of God this last fall, we were, we were talking about some of the ways that Christians spoke about their faith in opposition to the Roman Empire. And we talked about how Rome's motto was peace through warfare. That was pretty much like their national marketing campaign. It's everywhere, peace through warfare. And then how in opposition to that, the early Christian motto was peace through justice, right? That's how they, they presented Christianity, peace through justice. And so that's what we're talking about here. The idea that there's no longstanding viable unity without justice, right? That we have to repent and repair the sins of the past and we have to have accountability and reparations and justice, and that precedes any lasting unity. Um, the Archbishop Desmond Tutu, he, he led the Truth and Reconciliation Commission in South Africa following apartheid, um, which by the way, I've heard some calls for some kind of a Truth and Reconciliation Commission here, which I think would behoove us. But he wrote something in his book on forgiving. I think it's called the Book of Forgiving that he wrote with his daughter that I, I, I always found very um, pertinent and something that we so easily forget. He says, forgiving and being reconciled to our enemies or our loved ones isn't about pretending that things are other than they are. It's not about patting one another on the back and turning a blind eye to the wrong. True reconciliation exposes the awfulness, the abuse, the pain, the hurt, and the truth. It could even sometimes make things worse 
it's a risky undertaking, but in the end, it's worthwhile because in the end, only an honest confrontation with reality can bring real healing. Superficial reconciliation can only bring superficial healing. So as a culture, we know we owe the truth. We owe reparations to our indigenous and our black citizens. Um, we owe everyone saying genocide and slavery are part of our American story. You know, there was that like counter history that was posted like a week before uh, the last president left office that just sort of whitewashed all of that. And that's not okay. We have to own that as part of our story and make repairs for the generations of harm and the broken trust for unity to be found. And so Amanda Gorman, when she's reading, she's like, look, it's the past we step into and how we repair it, right? That there's real work to do. And I think the good news that we come away from that is that in our faith tradition, we have the tools for this kind of hard work of repairing, right? We understand repentance and justice. We have a framework for that. And we know the importance of telling the truth. And we know that love isn't just some fancy sentiment, right? It's a dynamic way of living. Um, the other thing I want to remind us of this morning, just in reflecting on the inauguration, is that our hope is in a God whose very name and essence is love, right? That this God is the dynamic love that can help us repair and heal, and that our hope isn't in rulers, right? Our hope isn't in rulers. There's a really odd little story tucked into the book of Ecclesiastes chapter four, and I'm going to share it with you, even though I think the way it's written is a little bit confusing, so we'll unpack it. But this little story says this, better a poor but wise youth than an old but foolish king who no longer knows how to heed a warning. The youth may have come from prison to the kingship or he may have been born in poverty within his kingdom. I saw that all who lived and walked under the sun followed the youth, the king's successor. There was no end to all the people who were there before them. But those who came later were not pleased with the successor. This too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Gotta love the, the Ecclesiastes guy. He's so, uh, so postmodern. Everything's meaningless. And I think this is written in a slightly confusing way, but the commentators that I've been reading on it, they generally agree on what it means. And essentially, it's just telling us a little story about, like, look, you've got a young man who grew up either in poverty, maybe he spent time in prison, and he's wise because he's seen the underbelly of injustice. He would be a better ruler than an old foolish king who can't even heed a warning. And we know about those, right? This wise young man, it turns out in this story, he, he was able to gather quite a following, right? There was no end to the people who supported him and people who were pleased with him when he became the ruler after this foolish king. But then it turned out that the generations who came after weren't pleased with his rule. And so the author of Ecclesiastes is like, well, this is meaningless. It's all bull honky, right? And I think the author is just having one of those like, well, what good is anything crisis, which I'll admit I've had a little, I've had a few of those moments, right? You, you can have a good ruler, but even they can't always bring the justice and the peace that we really long for. And generations might look back on them and just see how much they lacked as well. And what I think this speaks to is the idea that rulers are not the end all and be all. And it's okay to feel joy and to celebrate this week because a truly dangerous ruler is gone. Hallelujah, right? But as followers of Jesus that we don't put our hope in rulers, and that includes Biden, right? It's okay to feel trepidation or wariness about how quickly 
justice and reconciliation and healing can happen. I, I was paying attention online. I was seeing that a lot of my black and brown friends were expressing this mixture of emotions, right? This joy that like, wow, we've got our first black and Asian American vice president, our first female, and that's so great. And that will be so much better than the old foolish dictator wannabe. But they're not a perfect hope, right? And so even so, we can hope and we can celebrate. And while American Christianity is much maligned right now, and I think rightfully so, just remembering that enough of us hold dear the wisdom of the prophets, right? The wisdom of Jesus to know how to do this work, right? To try and achieve this longing that we heard Amanda Gorman um, articulating in her poem. She ended, she ended it with this. I just thought it was so hopeful, right? We will rebuild, reconcile, and recover in every known nook of our nation, in every corner called our country, our people, diverse and beautiful, will emerge battered and beautiful. Even when the day comes, we step out of the shade, aflame and unafraid. The new dawn blooms as we free it, for there is always light, if only we're brave enough to see it, if only we're brave enough to be it. And I thought, man, what a prophetic proclamation she's making. Right, that's calling us to be our best selves and to like declare that into being. Like we will do this, we will rebuild, we'll reconcile, and we'll do the work, and we will step forward, and we will be beautiful and aflame, and we can bring that light. Right, it was something that actually Biden said in his inaugural speech. Like it need, it takes enough of us. Right, so we'll continue to be light and to be love, and to work together to create this world where we can sit under our own vine and our own fig tree, and not be afraid. So let's do our, a little meditation here. So if you're newer, we, we usually take a minute or two to just either sit in silence before God or do a guided meditation. And actually, I just want us to take about a minute and think about or imagine what it would be like if everyone could sit under their own vine and their own fig tree. And you can kind of just let your mind wander a little bit in this. Like, what does that look like or feel like to you? You can either just sit here and imagine like, what vines and fig trees look like around you or what having a community where that feels like for everyone would look like. And then as you imagine it, just hold that hope before God. And so I'll, I'll say a little prayer to end us out, but let's spend a minute or two just sort of sitting in that collective imagination and holding that up as our hope before God. Go ahead.
Jesus, we, we hear this hope resonating in different parts of our culture, this hope for being able to just be and to feel safe under our own vine and our own fig tree. It's, it's resonating in popular musicals, which is now a movie, and in this poem that has been so embraced and listened to, that this is something resonating right now as a cry of the hearts of our people um, in this country. And so we just hold that hope before you. And we ask that you would just breathe on those of us who are trying to keep that light and that love aflame, that idea of unity through justice. And we ask that your spirit would be in this so that we can make this a reality and that you would walk with us through that and that you would show us practical steps like helping refugees resettle, you know, helping people to not be afraid in their own homes, that we can do that work on the grassroots level. We thank you um, for the joy that you're restoring. We thank you um, for the wisdom that's being talked about and imparted in different conversations that are happening. And we just ask for your wisdom and your help and your love going forward. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.